Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, a few years ago, a man by the name of Craig Grishel is a pastor. Uh, he also uh, writes several books, and he wrote a book, and in that book, he gave this litany test of what your relationship with God could be like. Depends on how you see God. And so this is, this is how he broke it down. And you think about your relationship with God and determine if there's anything in this, um, how, how you uh, approach God. Said, if you call me Craig, chances are you might know me a little. Uh, you know what I do. Maybe, maybe you've heard me speak if you call me Pastor Craig. And... and you know, maybe you have one of my favorite topics, uh, my upfront personality, but your use of my title doesn't mean that you know me personally. Now, if you just call me Craig, not Pastor Craig, and I'd usually assume that you know me even better. In fact, my friends call me Craig, and we're close. Then there are those who possess rights to only a few specialized names, far more intimate forms of address, well, these are six beautiful small children, dearly love me, who I'm allowed to climb in my lap. They rub my, their hands on my face and say things like, you need to shave, you're the best, can I have some candy? Then they call me daddy. That name reveals an intimacy. Then he went on to ask the question, what do you call God? How do you approach God? Is, is God one of those um, do you think of God as something far off and not very intimate? Or do you have an intimate relationship with the Father? You see, our relationships can be defined by how we speak or call somebody by name. Again, if you, if you call somebody by their first name, likelihood you're a friends. But if, if those that we truly love, there's more of an intimate name. Those that we call sugar or sweetheart or honey, those are more intimate names that we have for somebody. Our children, we call them Bubba or Belbet, you know, whatever you call them. Intimate names. It's because you have an intimate relationship with them. In Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to talk about that intimacy. Because God has this, this, this thought process that that we should have a right relationship, and that right relationship should be an intimate relationship with the Father. Now, let me give you a little background about Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, it could be, you, you know, scholars have, have speculated all the years, you, you know, it's got some Paul tendencies, but it's not Paul's language. So then we go to people like uh, Timothy or Silas or, or those who traveled with Paul. We, we, there are even some speculations that maybe a woman wrote it because a Priscilla and Aquila was close to Paul, but no name has been attached to it. The problem is no vocabulary language here matches any one of them, so we don't know who wrote the book. But what we know is the letter was written to the church, and as they write to the church, there are two groups of people that they're kind of working with. They're working with believers who established the church, 
but who need to grow spiritually. They've gotten, they've gotten stale, stagnant. They're stillborn almost in their faith, and they need to grow. And then there's the other group that they write to that, man, they look good on Sunday. They come to the temple dressed right. They can sing the songs, but they're far from God. They've never made a commitment to Christ. They've never had a life-transforming relationship. And the thing about this letter and these verses is, it's exactly the same for the church today. Because there are people in churches all this morning, and even here, who haven't been growing in their faith. They're content with sitting in a pew on Sunday and listening and singing a few songs. Then there are people who come to church because it's the thing they've always done, but yet they'll miss heaven and end up in hell. They look the part, but they never ask Christ into their heart. So if you have your Bibles and you're at Hebrews chapter 6, would you stand as we read God's Word? This morning I'm going to read from the uh, New Living Translation. Um, I like the way this translation lays this out. So, beginning in verse 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repentance from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and the eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back repentance to those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who have turned, who then turned away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to a public shame. And when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears good crops for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if the field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at points of passion. And as we've, we've done that, we've, first we talked about our worship, that the church should be passionate about worship even when, even when life throws us a curveball, even when things don't make sense. Uh, week two, we talked about uh, having a f uh, healthy fellowship, what it looks like when the church is actually being the church, and our responsibility as a part of that. And third week, we, we talked about that idea of, or last week we talked about that idea of being ready to share the gospel at any moment, to having that testimony that when somebody asks, we can tell them why we believe and the reasons behind Christ. Well, this morning, let's talk about what it looks like to grow in Christ. Here's the big idea I want you to catch, simply this. 
True believers grow in faith and knowledge while Christian atheists never really know or grow in faith. Let me say it again. True believers grow in faith and knowledge while Christian atheists never know or grow in faith. Now, if my father is sitting here today and he's not, he was here last week, praise the Lord, I can talk about him today. Craig Rochelle's book, Christian Atheist, came out uh, about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and we used it as a study. And my father hated the term Christian atheist. He didn't think there's anything such as a Christian atheist. And this morning, I want to point to you and help you understand that I think Craig Rochelle's title of his book was spot on. But before we get there, let's talk about what it looks like as a believer to grow in faith. The first thing we, I want you to catch on our text today is that true believers continue to spiritually move forward in faith. A true believer will always move forward in faith. It's one of those things that, that causes them to, to step out and go forward. They, they're not hung in the past. They're not hung on simple things. They are growing spiritually. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. And the same way can be with the spiritually. It's are you moving forward? Now in this text, the writer of Hebrews lays out several things in this text that points out to this that there is some elementary basic things that these believers knew. These basic things, uh, we read them in the first three verses. He talks about the repentance from evil. For those of you who've come to know faith in Christ, you understand that the first thing that has to happen is there is a repentance. There is this moment and when you have to acknowledge your sin, repent of it, and turn back to God. And the writer goes, we don't need to continue to talk about that. You understand that. He also talks about placing faith in God. If you're repenting and turning, you're putting your faith in God. You understand who God is. You've trusted God as your personal Lord and Savior. That, that is an understanding. It talks about baptism, the importance of baptism. We, we talk about baptism all the time here, that your first act of obedience when you come to know Christ is baptism. We experienced that last week. Then he goes on, and there are three other things he talks about. It's the laying on of hands and the resurrection and eternal judgment. Those six things were kind of the basic elements of a believer in this day. If you came to know faith in Christ, those things you knew. But you can't stay there. You, you can't stay there. Don't misunderstand me. They're all powerful in themselves. But you can't stay there. You can't do it as I've teased that I did uh, I said this on a Wednesday night that I did the same book report for four years in high school. You can't do that. I can say that now publicly with my son in the room. He graduated. Praise the Lord. I, I couldn't tell him that until ahead of time. But you can't do that. I mean, think about it this way. If you go to a restaurant today for lunch and you see a mother feeding her baby with a spoon at the table sitting, sitting there, you think how cute. But if you go into the restaurant and see a mother with a 20-year-old sitting there and the mother's still feeding the child with a spoon, what do you think? Something's not right. They, they, 
something's amiss here. You know, as a, as a baby, mother and father change your diapers and put your clothes on you. At 20 years old, you better learn to do that. You should have learned to do that a long time ago. Growing up in school, math, two plus two is four. Great as a first grader or kindergartner. Not so great if that's all you know as a college student. The world looks at you and says, what has happened? You've not grown like you should. There's a problem here. God does the same thing with us. You came to faith in Christ at whatever age you came. Think about it right now. If God was to give a spiritual report card on you, would he say he sees you growing? Or would he wonder what's happened? True believers continue to move in faith. They're spiritually growing. They're reading God's word. One of the ways you, you grow is you read God's word and you, you digest it for yourself. You, you don't just dust your Bible off or pick it up out of the back seat when you come into church. You, you recognize God's word is important and powerful and you read it daily. You, you wrestle with what God is teaching and you apply it. When you grow spiritually, your, your prayer life changes. It changes from me, my, and what I want to, God, what do you want? How is your glory revealed? When you're growing spiritually, you're sharing the gospel with people. You're telling people why you love Jesus and why Jesus is the answer. So, if God's giving spiritual report cards today, how well are you growing? We all grow at different paces. We all learn at different paces. But the question is, are we moving? Or are you what the Hebrew writer says for the second group? The second group are bogus believers who never move forward in faith. Bogus believers who never move forward in faith. Now, I use the term bogus believers there because I, I thought if, if somebody was here and, and couldn't get over the idea of Christian atheist, maybe you'd grasp it a little better by bogus believers. Rochelle says in his book that a Christian atheist are people who believe in God but act like he doesn't exist. They, they have this idea that there is a God out there Somebody created this world. Somebody has, somebody has formed us. Somebody has made us. I get that, but I don't live for that God. The Christian atheist knows the things and yet doesn't, doesn't believe them. Jesus tells us in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they, what, follow me and give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can, what, snatch them out of my hand. So I want to unpack this for just a second because some people use this text here in Hebrews to say you can lose your salvation because it talks about enlightenment, it talks about all these other things. But but that's not true. 
Because if you take that one verse, maybe you can make that argument. But if you take the totality of Scripture, you cannot make that argument. Because Jesus tells us that if we're his sheep and we know his voice, nobody can snatch us from his hands. So there's no such thing as losing your salvation. But there is such a thing as never having salvation. Because Jesus tells us there's coming a day when we come before the Father and he'll say, depart from me, I know you not. And we'll reply, but didn't we go to church? Didn't we go on mission? Didn't we do this? No. And so let me help you understand why this text isn't really about, about the... Um, the saved, or about losing salvation. Look at uh, verses uh, four through, through six, and I'm having to use the bulletin. My, <laughs> I keep looking down at this one, and this is getting a little smaller. Terry, my eyes are not, maybe if I get it out there, I could do it. Look at verse four. For it is impossible to bring back repentance to those who've been enlightened, who've experienced the good things of heaven and have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turned away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and are holding him up to public shame. A couple words in this text that I want you to see. You might want to encircle them in your Bible. Enlightened. The word enlightened there means to possess knowledge, to be aware of, made aware of. That word is never used in all of Scripture to talk about someone who has experienced salvation, who's been born again, who has had a life change, who's been regenerated. None of those, none of those words uh, are linked to enlightened. Enlightened just means you're made aware of, a knowledge. We're all knowledge, uh, we all are knowledgeable about things and yet we, we ignore them, right? Some of us know what the speed limit is and yet we ignore it. Some of us know uh, how much to, to, we're supposed to put in sugar into tea and then we ignore it and add more. Some of us know what we're supposed to do, but yet we ignore it. We have knowledge, but that doesn't mean we're possessing. Doesn't mean it's ours. Doesn't mean we agree. Doesn't mean we take hold of. Uh, then there are words, things like the good things of heaven. The good things of heaven. The good things of heaven refer to the things that they have seen and experienced. They've experienced uh, in this day and age, they would have experienced things. Some ha would have been around when Jesus performed miracles and would have experienced and been a part of that. They would have witnessed those things. They would understand that they're good. And some would have still walked away. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. As he feeds the 5,000, he leaves them and goes across the lake. They come find him the next day. We want to make you king. You only want to make me king because I fed you, not because I'm the savior of the world. 
The text says, share in the Holy Spirit is one of the things. And people get tripped up here with the idea of sharing of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has to work in a person's life to bring them to salvation. You see, I, it's not me working in your life to bring you to acknowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to acknowledge in your life and begins to work for you to come to the place to, that you'd say, I need Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit works in people's lives, and sometimes people's people will refuse and never acknowledge Christ. But yet they, they've sensed the Holy Spirit. They've, they've recognized the Holy Spirit. The other three that the writer mentions is the taste of, of, God, of the Word of God. They would have heard God's Word preached. They would have heard the proclamation. They would have known what God's Word says. They knew the Word of God. Listen, even the demons know the Word of God. And they would have been aware of the power of the age to come. That there, that there was coming a moment in which people had been proclaiming, repent, the end is near. They would have known all that. And yet they would have stepped away. They've walked away. And you, you might think, well, I don't get that. And yet people do it all the time. People come to a place and, and, and think, I, I, I don't need to do that. I've, I've got enough. I'm aware of these things. I have enough. It's, just, it's good enough just to be in the building. No, it's not. The only way you'll enter into heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You won't do it by acting good. You won't do it by having morals. You won't do it by paying your taxes on time. You won't do it by, by obeying the speed limit. You won't do it by showing up and getting a Sunday school pen. You'll only do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have to come to that moment. And you have to recognize that there's a repentance that needs to happen in your life. So the writer of Hebrews writes these to these two groups. One group needs to spiritually be growing. The other needs to spiritually come to know Christ. There are two groups. Both have actions. Both are need to move forward. And yet, the writer is reminding them. So the writer concludes these these eight verses with the last in the last two verses with a warning. And here's the warning. And it's the same warning for you and the same warning for me. It's the same warning for everybody watching us today or listening to us. That warning is everyone's faith will be exposed. Everyone's faith will be exposed. There's going to come a moment in which everything about you will be exposed and God will reply to you. Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I know you not. And there's coming that time. And there's coming that time for every one of us. I quoted this a few minutes ago, but you'll see it on the screen, Matthew 7, 21. It says, not everyone uh, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven and on that day, 
on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do many miracles in your name? Then what will Jesus say? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Listen, we're all going to live for eternity someplace. The question is where? Where will you spend it forever? I can promise you forever will not be spent wherever it is you are now. It will either be in the presence of God or away from God in eternity in hell. That's the thing. 1969, one of my, probably my favorite, um, one of my favorite um, music artist in the, in the 60s was Larry Norman. Larry Norman uh, was one of these guys who, who took Christian music and rock music and married them. And many people didn't like him. In fact, what he would do was he would take the reality of what people were living in and mesh it with Christianity. And the gospel people would go, we don't want that kind of music. In fact, they banned him for a while. Time Magazine said he was the most influential artist in his day. Over 300 songs he wrote were then reproduced by other people. Because they recognized what Larry Norman was doing was he was preaching the gospel to people in the streets of Los Angeles and the places where people just needed to hear the gospel. And he was preaching the gospel in reality, not some make-believe gospel. He was preaching the gospel to people who were on drugs, who were in need of saving. And just before 1969, Larry Norman had a, had a life-changing experience, almost cost him his life. And after that, he really focused in on preaching the gospel. And one of the things he was so hung up on was the thought process of life everlasting. That the rapture was going to come. And when the rapture comes, it's too late. When the rapture comes, it's no... You can't, you can't change your mind. It's not, let me rethink this, let me do this. When the rapture comes, it's over. It's so one of my favorite songs he did. DC Talk did it. If you're, if you're a child of the um, 90s, you'll remember DC Talk. He, they, he says, I wish we'd all been ready. Here's the lyrics of the song. I think I can put them up here. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and You've been left behind. A man and a wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head, and he's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears. One's left standing. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. You might be here going, you know, I can, I can receive Christ at another time. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised that you don't leave this place 
and this is the last place you'll ever be. We're only promised the moment. Two groups of people in the church. One who needs to grow, and the other needs to come to know Christ. The question is, which one are you? Because there's no other in between. Because if you're a believer, you're supposed to be growing until the day you die. So there's, there's no moment that you reach maturity spiritually. So you're either needing to grow or needing salvation. There's no time to change your mind. Would you stand with me this morning?